Well, I want to go to the Lord together as a body um, right now, um, not because it's that time in the service. That's not, that's not why we pray. We pray because we are now asking the Lord to do something in our lives, a supernatural thing in our lives. Did you know you came here today hopeful that God would work in your life? So I didn't even think about it this morning. I just came. Well, I'm telling you now, you're here hopeful that God is going to work in your life. And he's going to do it for the remainder of our time through his word. His spirit is going to use his word in our lives. So let's pray. Father, we come before you now. We're seeking you. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want your word to speak to our hearts in a supernatural way. Lord, we are, we're slow to hear. We are really slow to understand. Oh, we're quick to speak, but we're slow to hear. So God, speed up our ears. Speed up our hearts that we would be moved in our hearts in the way that you are moved in your heart. Father, I pray that we would not be willing that any would perish, but that we would desire that all would reach repentance. Lord, that we would understand that you're not slow to keep your promise. You're keeping your promises. And Lord, that you want to use us just like you used the prophet Jonah. Help us to be receptive. Help us to obey. Help us to trust you. No matter, no matter to trust you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are starting into our second week of the study of Jonah. Now, Jonah is an Old Testament prophet. In my Bible, it's page 983, so it's a little bit right of the middle. Go ahead and use your table of contents. Find the book of Jonah. You probably don't turn there very often. Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets. That doesn't mean he's small. It doesn't mean he's not significant. All it means is the written account of of Jonah's life and, and his experiences is short in number. I think it's like 45, 48 verses, something like that. And so it's one of the 12 minor prophets. Minor in their length, not in their significance. You have the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They wrote long, long words of prophecy. What's that? Oh, children. Oh, okay, thank you. That's what's been happening. I've noticed that, that little people have kind of been meandering out of the back of the room. So children, if you haven't headed to children's church, you need to do that right now. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? They've got them all. All right, good, thank you. So it's not minor in its significance. It's just minor in its length. And I want to point out to you a couple of things that are different about Jonah than all the other prophets. See, most of the prophets are a series of messages that the prophet brought, and that's all they are. They're they're Bible messages. Most of them are just explaining truths that they already knew about God, and they're calling the people to obey to what they already know. Some of them are revealing new information, but most of them are just pounding the same old nails. But Jonah's a little different. Jonah's prophecy, his, his verbal message, is only five words in Hebrew. Depending upon your translation, it's six, seven, or eight words in English. 
You'll find it in Jonah chapter 3. You can look there and see if you can find it. His message, it's very, very short, very, very direct, not filled with much hope. So the, re- so the rest of Jonah, it's one verse. His message is one verse. The rest of Jonah, the 40-some other verses, are really kind of a, they're sort of a two-act drama. It's a two-act drama where we see the life of Jonah played out for us, this moment in Jonah's life played out for us in high-definition detail. Chapters 1 and 2 are the first acts. And in that first act, the setting is the great sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And it's all about the the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and what happens there on a ship and, and in the water and all that. That's the setting of the first act. And the plot is all about Jonah disobeying God. But God comes through in the first act and reveals his nature. He reveals his power. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see his power to work out his plan. Now, in the second act of this two-act drama, we, we have a change where before the setting was the great sea, now the setting is a great city. And Jonah calls it that, the great city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, we don't know much about it other than the fact that Jonah was going there. We don't know anything about it, but you need to know that in Jonah's day, everybody knew about it. It was a reigning city. It wasn't the capital city at this time of Assyria, but it was one of the major cities of Assyria. And it was known for its cruelty. Historians identify the Assyrians as the Nazis of the old age. They were famous for their cruelty. They were famous for their terrorism, for their destruction, for their murder, for all the evil things that they did. They were the original terrorists. They were the original propaganda specialists. And they would, they would have these huge, like, these rock, these rock pictures that would depict what they would do to their enemies. The lopping off of heads, the flaying of skin, the murder of thousands. These Assyrians would do this. Historians record that when a visitor would come to Nineveh, the king of Nineveh would bring him into a room. Listen, this is an urban place. This is not like some kind of a desert scene that you might draw up in your mind, like some picture from Star Wars or something. You know what this, this, this sort of, this wide desert scene. No, this is an urban city. Historians tell us that were probably over 300,000 people that lived in Nineveh. It's huge. Tall towers surrounded by a huge wall. It took three days to walk across Nineveh. So it's, it's very, very large. They say the wall that circled Nineveh, check this out, the wall that, center, that circled Nineveh at places was 100 feet tall. Can you imagine that? And what even blows my mind more is they say it was 50 feet wide. So this is some little wall you see down on the United States-Mexico border or something. This is, this, is, this is a fortress around Nineveh. One historian explains that there inside of Nineveh, they had enough 
corn production inside the city to feed the whole city for a year to protect against siege. This is a metropolis. And Jonah hated them. Every Jewish person did. They hated them. The Assyrians in 722 would come to Israel and take captive the ten northern tribes of Israel. This is the lost tribes of Israel. Maybe you've heard of this. See, when the Babylonians came about a hundred years later, they protected some of the royalty. You know some of them. Their names are Daniel and Ezekiel. They protected them. They, they, they gave them sort of a safe life. They, they allowed them to kind of continue living and, and be there as sort of these special people in the Babylonian world. The Assyrians didn't give that kind of quarter. No. They wiped them all out. They murdered them all. They abused them all. This is what they did. And God sends Jonah there. We need to... We have to feel this. The only thing that, that I think we can even come close to understanding this is if Jonah, a Jewish man, was sent to Berlin in the early 1940s and told, go there and preach the gospel. Huh? I'm to do what? Three themes, and if you could put this on the screen, that would be good. Three themes that, that show up over and over and over in the book of Jonah. And I just want to highlight these. You'll see them today. First of all, we're going to see God's sovereign control over all. That's going to be a huge part of today. God's sovereign control over all. Secondly, very important, is we're going to see His sanctifying work in his people. Listen, before God does a revival with the masses, he does a revival in his people. Before he reaches communities with the gospel, he conforms his children to his image. God doesn't use dirty tools. That's not what he does. He first works in his people. We're going to see that in Jonah's life. He's going to work on him first and then take him to reach the pagans, the godless people, the rest of humanity. And then finally, we're going to see that God is going to demonstrate his supernatural gift of repentance. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives, hopefully, to you to see your sin and to repent over it. All right, let's start in the verse number one, see how far we can get today in this study of Jonah. We'll get as far as we can and pick up next week. The thing I want us to see today, though, just, just so that we don't miss our point, is God's great power what he is doing to accomplish his goal. God has a goal for this world. God has a goal for this universe. God has an intent 
for humanity. And God will use his power to bring about what he wants. And what he wants is the salvation of men, the salvation of mankind, the salvation of humanity. And God will use his power to bring that about. The invitation today, join him. Join him. Okay, first of all, let's see. God's power through his word. God's power through his word. Verse number one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now that should shock you. Huh? Listen, please, don't allow your Sunday school ears to rid this thing of its power. God came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And we don't know how it happened. We don't know if it was in a dream or in a vision or if it was written down. We don't know because it's not important. What we know is that the word of God came to Jonah and Jonah knew it was the word of God. And God came to Jonah and spoke to him. He commissioned him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. We call this the commission of Jonah. I mean, what if God came to you and said, go do this for me? You say, well, I'd respond in a second. Man, I'd be Johnny on the spot, right? If God told me what to do, well, I'd do it right now. Huh. Would you? I bet you Jonah probably had that same attitude. 2 Kings 14, verse 25, places Jonah in history. This is not a myth. This is not an allegory. This is not a parable. This is a real live person. Second Corinthians four or second did I say Corinthians? I didn't mean to say Corinthians. I meant to say Second Kings fourteen twenty five identifies Jonah as a real person in a real time, reigning during the, the, the time that King Jeroboam the second reigned. And the word of the Lord comes to him, and it's very very clear what it says: Arise, go to Nineveh. What? Nineveh, that hated city. That powerful city that's threatening us, that it's clear, the, the, the writing is on the wall, the handwriting is on the wall, they're coming to take us captive, they're, they're coming to take us as their slaves. Yes, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Why? It's urgent. Their evil has come up before me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and the word of the Lord was this, you go be my ambassador. I want you to go to another land, to another people, to another place, and you be my ambassador. You represent me. The evil of the Ninevites is coming up against me, God says, so you go, Jonah, and speak against it. It is very significant here to realize that this call for Jonah aligns with the Word of God. Now, this is very important. It's very important that what we do, what we believe God is calling us to do, aligns with the Word of God. There's always been wackos who have said, God told me to do such and such. And they go do crazy things that that don't make any sense. The Lord will never violate His Word. God will always remain in alignment with what He says. Listen to what God had told Israel. And Jonah is an Israelite. 
This is in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. He says, Now therefore, God speaking, says, If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be... Now listen to what God told Jonah's people they were to be. A treasured possession among all peoples. God says, The earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and, of, and a holy nation. Is that what does that mean? A kingdom of priests. Does that mean they wear kind of silly clothes and, and carry on candles with you know, smoke going up in the air and, and passing out you know, wafers of bread? Is that what that means? No. No. Jonah knew this. The Israelites knew this. And you should know this. A priest is someone who stands between God and man. And you, 1 Peter chapter 2, are a royal priesthood. Jonah's call from God aligned with what God had already told him. Go. Be a light to the Gentiles. Go. Be a priest to the nations. Go. Take my word to the world. Now, it's interesting that what happens here. Verse number two, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. It's go at once. There's an urgency here. ESV says go to Nineveh, but there is an urgency here. Go now. Nineveh is a known city. It's known for its evil. It, as I already mentioned you, it's going to be the future capital of Assyria. It's a wicked place, and it's coming up to the Lord. And so God sends Jonah. Verse 3 is interesting. Now, verse 3, I'll just mention this. Verse 3 starts this literary genius of the book of Jonah that we won't have time to always talk about it, okay? But in verse number 3, there is an inherent pause in the passage, okay? It says, so, so God says to Jonah, go, right? Arise, go, and be urgent, go. And in verse 3 it says, but Jonah rose. And if we were to read this the way it was written, right now there's a pregnant pause. And you're on the edge of your, you're on the edge of your stage. And you think, he's going to do it. He's going to go. He's getting ready to go. He's going to go to the Ninevites. Oh, what's going to happen? Is he, is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? How will they respond? There's a pregnant pause here. But Jonah rose to flee, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and there's another literary device that happens all through this book is this word down. You will see he goes down, 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 down to the grave. Jonah will go. First, he goes down to Joppa. That's a sealing port. And he found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Why Tarshish? Why? Well, Scripture talks about Tarshish. In 2 Chronicles 9.21, it mentions that it was a three-year trip to go from Tarshish and back. It would take you three years. 
So Jonah's not on some short adventure. This is not a three-hour tour, okay? He's getting in a boat. He's expecting to go, go, go. Now, here's another little fact about, about Tarshish. In Isaiah 66, 19, you can look at the reference if you want to, but what it says is that Tarshish was a place that had not heard of God's fame or glory. So Jonah, the prophet of God, is told of God to go, and he says, I'm going a long way away to where God's name has not been hurt. He's not going there to take him the gospel. Oh no, that's Nineveh. That's north. He's going west because he's trying to get away from the presence of God. It's just like his great-great-grandfather Adam. It's exactly the same. Adam and Eve, they sin. They realize their sin and their shame. What do they do? They grab leaves and branches and moss and they try to make clothes to hide themselves from God. You ever tried that? If you're not saying yes, you're lying. We've all done it. The foolishness to think that we can leave the presence of God. Oh, can't get away. If I go to the highest heights, he's there. If I go to the lowest lows, he's there. If I go to Sheol, if I go to the grave, as Psalm 139 says, he's there. Does not matter how far down you go, you're not getting away from God. A little more, a little more. Let's see what happens here, okay? Verse number four. We won't get through all this, but we'll start into it just to give us just a little taste. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. It's not the first thing that will be hurled in chapter one. Watch for it. It's interesting. Watch for it. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and they each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The second thing that we're going to just briefly see today and, and finish it when we're together again is God's power over his world. First, we see God's power through his word. Go, 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 go. And it should align with what we know about God. But now we see that Jonah is going to try to use a ship and the sea and the wind to get away from God. You know what God's going to do? God's going to use a ship, a sea, and the wind to get a hold of him. The very thing that Jonah's going to try to use to his advantage to escape from God, God's going to use them to bring consequences into his life, to, to, to rattle his cage. This is so much like God. 
You try to live on the things of this world. You try to eat the pleasures of this world and God will use them to crush you. That's what he does. Why? Because he hates you? Because he's vindictive? Because of those? No. Because he loves you. He loves you. The grace in this passage is unbelievable exhibited to Jonah. What God is trying to do to wake him up will blow your mind. Let me just show you one little piece. Look at verse number six, what the captain says to Jonah. Jonah's fast asleep down in the hold. The sailors are upstairs on the, they're up on the, 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 you know, the floor of the ship. I mean, they are working like crazy to, to save themselves. And somebody figures out down in the hold is Jonah. The words here indicate he's asleep in the cargo, probably hiding in the cargo. The captain goes down there. Look what he says. Arise and call out. Jonah's asleep in the hold. He hears a voice. It's a familiar voice. At least the words are familiar. They're the same words that God had said to him. They're the exact same words that God had said to Jonah in verse number 2. God said to Jonah in verse number 2, Arise and call out to the Ninevites. And now this captain, this pagan captain, comes down into the hold and says, Jonah, arise and call out. That's not by accident. The Lord is using his world to wake up Jonah. He's using the sea and the ship and the captain and the pagans all around him to say, I'm real. I love you. You are my ambassador. To close today, I want you to see what Jonah said to them. And I want it to be a good, firm warning to us. There's a lot of dialogue. We'll look at it next week. But in verse number 9, look how Jonah identifies himself. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, the thing I want us to warn us here is this. You see, we see where he says, I am a Hebrew, and, and we just gloss over that. We just go right over it. Like, it doesn't mean anything. But it means the world. When Jonah cried out, I am a Hebrew, the very first thing he says is, I am a Hebrew. You know what that is? That's a patriotic cry, folks. That's a patriotic cry. It's him saying, I, I, different than all of you, I am a Hebrew. It's a prideful cry of patriotism rather than the cry of the gospel. Listen, we got to be careful, folks. There is a warning here for us. You are part of something much bigger 
than the United States of America. You are part of something much bigger than your race or your nationality. You are part of something much larger than that. All Jonah could see at this point was his national identity. All he could see is who he was, what his skin looked like, what his features looked like, what his sort of background was. And God was sending him to everybody else. God was sending him to the people that his countrymen thought they wanted nothing to do with the Lord's. Be careful. What is your first identity? If I ask you who you are, who do you say? I'm an accountant. I'm a teacher. I'm an American. I'm a this, I'm a that. The last question that Jonah was asked by the, by the captain was, what people are you? And by golly, that's the first thing Jonah had to say. I'm a Hebrew. I'm not you dirty, rotten Gentiles. God had some work to do on Jonah. And he's going to do it. He's going to do it. All towards a purpose of fulfilling the commission. We started and we asked the question, if God told you specifically what he wanted you to do, would you do it? Oh, in our pride, we think we would. We think we would. Why, if God came to me and told me what to do, I'd be, I'd do it. You know what we're going to do right now, right? You know, you know what's next, right? We're going to read the commission. This is why you exist. This is who you are. This is what God has promised you. It's who you are. It's what he's called you to. And it's how he has promised that it will happen. When we read this great commission, can you look for those things? It's who you are. It's what he's called you to do. And it's how it will be accomplished. Stand. Let's recite our commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Read it with me. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, when we come together again, Jonah will learn this lesson. And it's all for his good. It's because God loves him. And it might be this morning that the Lord is trying to rattle your cage and say, this is true. This is why you're here. Listen, if he's rattling you, it's in love. It's in love. God is not vindictive. He's loving. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for the new day that you've given us to hear your word again. 
Lord, give us receptive hearts. Break our hearts for the world around us, for people that may or may not be like us, but who need you. Lord, may we keep our, our, our identity straight of whose we are and what we're for. And remind us of your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.